You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in five, four, three, two. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This program is made possible because of Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, the Griffin Foundation, and the Hereditary Disease Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today I have Seth Rotberg on with me. Um, Seth has been on many times, and today um, he is going to be sharing his perspective on the recent results uh, released by Perlinia on their clinical trial proof HD. So Seth, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Lauren, thanks so much for having me here. Excited to uh, be on here and just kind of wanted to share just a quick, quick disclaimer of, you know, I'm here today to, of course, talk about my my personal perspective as a patient advocate in the HC community and not necessarily representing my employer, uh, Perlinia. So just wanted to kind of put that out there is that, you know, everything that we talk about is just as me as a committed and passionate uh, HD community member and, and patient advocate. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who don't know who you are, which would be crazy, but for those who don't know who you are, could you just give a, a quick thing about how HD impacts you personally? Absolutely. So I come from an HD family. I witnessed my mom uh, become first misdiagnosed with mood swings and uh major depression to then officially being diagnosed with Huntington's disease when I was in high school. And she lived with HD for 17 years before passing away about eight years ago. And so during that time, it was kind of going through those grief, grief and loss uh, stages of, of being in denial, being angry to finally accepting it, getting involved by starting a through and through basketball charity event to joining uh, local, national, international patient advocacy organizations, where it started with the Huntington's Disease Society of America's uh, Massachusetts chapter, National Youth Alliance, getting involved as a volunteer, becoming president of both, to joining the board of the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization. And eventually, in 2018, being able to do a TED Talk on my personal story of what it's like to go through genetic testing. And I think that really helped uh, paved the way for me to get involved professionally in the healthcare space, not th- not just in HD, but in the larger rare disease space. And that's kind of uh, where I'm at today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, you've done a ton for the HD community. You've been such a major advocate, um, even, you know, the FDA listening session. Um, there's just so many things that you've done um, to to really advocate for the community. And one of the things that we both seem to enjoy talking about is research, which is why um, I wanted you to come on and, and share your perspective on uh, Perlenia's results. So Perlenia recently released top line results uh, from their Proof HD clinical trial. Can you explain what top line results are and what they mean? 
Yeah, both 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 are great questions because, you know, I never really understood the concept of top line results until, you know, I, I learned more about the ins and outs of, you know, a pharma or biotech company. And what top line results tend to be is, is a company's initial results once the last patient has completed the study. And so it, it really focuses on whether a clinical trial met its primary endpoint and possibly secondary endpoints. And just to kind of take a step back, right, is primary endpoint is the specific end goal of an investigational drug that a company hopes to achieve, right? That's the the one where it's okay, if you have it's like the if and then then hypothesis that I see it as like if we want this to happen, then we're hoping that this other thing happens. And so I think that's something to kind of keep in mind is understanding that it's it's focusing on on that primary endpoint and then possibly secondary endpoints. Um, but also, you know, you're also looking at most often one or more measures that show that the investigational drug is, uh, was safe and effective in the study population. Secondary endpoints, what they end up doing, they're like additional outcome measures that you're looking at. So additional effects of an investigational drug. Um, I, I think what's really important here, though, is when you think about a, a, a large study such as the the a phase three study, right? It can be 300, 400, 500, 600, 1,000 people, right? When you finish that study, you're, you're then looking at results right away. And so something to note is that it's based on this initial review of a small number of key outcome measures. And then you got to also look at a ton of the other data to review in the study. And so that's something to kind of think about when we look at just top line results is this is initial data. And, and yes, it's, it's very important, but then there's all these other data points that a company has to review and, and further analyze, which can take a lot of time. Yeah. So, so basically the, the top line results are, are just a small piece of that larger puzzle. Um, so in your personal opinion, what what do the top line results from uh, from Polenia mean for the HD community? Well, first, I would actually recommend because again, I, I'm not you and I both love research, but I'll say for myself, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a professional researcher. Um, it kind of goes above above my head. But uh, we actually, I would say that I would recommend people watching the community webinars that took place with the European Huntington Association or uh, the Huntington Society of America in collaboration with the Huntington Society of Canada. I know that's a mouthful, but they both put on community webinars to learn more about the preliminary top line proof HD results. And I think it just does a great job of explaining the preliminary results, answer some common questions being asked by the HD community. Uh, There's a few uh, other besides um, Michael Hayden, the CEO of Prolinia being on there, there's a few other uh, what's called principal investigators or like these, you know, the site, I'll say site doctors who are on, who did a really good job breaking down what the results mean and, and what it means to continue to learn more about uh, the results. But I, I would say, you know, again, from my personal perspective, 
the big thing with any clinical trials, one, is it safe? And two, is it effective, right? It, and, and it's important to know that you need to have a large enough sample uh, that it makes it relatable to a larger community because, right, if we're doing a study where it's just myself or it's just you, right, or both of us, right, that's two people, but we know HD in the U.S. and, you know, uh, there's 40,000 people. So it'd be really tough to say, okay, well, is this just like a, a coincidence that it's working or is it actually relevant to the larger community, which is where these phase three studies come into play? So that's just, I think the first thing to kind of notice, is it safe and then is it effective? So according to the results from Perlenia, um, was the drug safe? Yeah, so in the case of, of the proof HD study, uh, you know, the oral molecule known as predopinine was well tolerated with no serious treatment-related adverse events. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where it's at. But just to kind of expand on it, you know, the big question and going back to uh, what, what I mentioned earlier about primary endpoints, and that's kind of what each clinical study is, is looking for is, does the study show not just safety, but clinical benefit with that primary endpoint or key secondary endpoints? And uh, the primary endpoint was this thing called total functional capacity, which you know looks at someone's ability um, to do simple tasks such as work, manage money, do chores, drive, among other things. Unfortunately, uh, the study didn't meet its primary endpoint, but then it gets into this interesting part, which I'm sure uh, you may, I think you may be interested in or have questions about it's just because uh, we noticed the, in this pre-specified analysis that excluded patients on uh, neuroleptics, which are, which is also known as antipsychotics and Korean medication that in, in these subgroups, predopening actually showed meaningful benefits as compared to placebo on disease progression, motor and cognitive outcome measures. Uh, and these pre-specified analyses are planned during the initial design of a design stage of a study prior to analyzing any data. So just wanted to kind of stop there and get your initial reaction. Yeah, so to me, um, when I when I read it, obviously, um, <laughs> I called you because I was like, I wanted to make sure that I was reading this correctly. So basically it didn't meet the, the trial did not meet its primary endpoint, which normally we would think, okay, if it didn't meet its primary endpoint, then there's no point in going forward with it. However, because they designed the study to have a look at the, at the data without those that were on antipsychotics or on Korea medication, um, what they found was that the drug did show benefit to that subgroup of people, um, which is a good thing, you know? So does that mean that, you know, we do have a chance of getting it approved for a subgroup of people or, um, you know, do we, does that mean like we start over and, and have to do a whole new study for that? Like, that's where my questions come in of, okay, that's great. We have, we have this drug that shows some benefit to this subgroup of participants. Um, so hopefully that means we don't have to start over. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I think there's just some, some unknowns as of now. And I would say just to take a step back, um, you know, I, I was looking at just 
what the whole concept of neuroleptics are, right? And they're used for psychosis and sometimes for irritability or for creosuppression, which is according to HSA's third edition of, uh, of their physician guide to the management of Huntington's disease. Now, I think the big thing is people may, may want to take a quick action of, okay, well, what do I do now if I'm on those? And, and I would say, you know, again, personally, my perspective is, is don't do anything, right? You want to talk with your doctor. Uh, I'm, I'm not a medical professional, not giving out medical advice, but, you know, making sure you speak to your doctor and making sure to, uh, be involved in that decision-making process with them, with your caregiver. And so I think that's, that's a big thing I just wanted to emphasize is I know sometimes uh, people want to jump the gun and say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do. But it's, again, this is early results and this is only based off of a few weeks of data. Uh, so there needs to be more, uh, you know, analysis of the full proof HD data set, which takes time and patience, which I know is, a lot easier said than done because, uh, you know, it's been 30 years since we discovered the gene and here we are without an effective treatment. But the way I see this, it's, it's a giant, giant puzzle that we're trying to put together and you only have a section of the puzzle completed. And once the puzzle is completed, then we can see what the outcome may look like. But what, what was interesting and I thought was pretty, uh, pretty fascinating was that almost all the patients who did complete the study decided to go on the open label extension of the trial, which means that even if they were in the placebo arm of the study, that they were going to now get access to uh, the investigational drug pedopidine. So I think what's fascinating is one is a lot of people are like, hey, I'll, I'll take this, right? Um, I'll, I'll join the open label extension. But it also can provide additional data to the to the company to better understand the long-term efficacy and safety of, of the investigational drug. So I think that's something also to kind of keep in mind is uh, how crucial this, this can be is, you know, being able to participate in this open label extension, uh, understanding that, again, uh, based off of the clinical trial, there wasn't any serious uh, treatment-related adverse events. And it can also help further research. So I thought that was something cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let me ask this. So you and I know that other drugs have been approved um, by the FDA, despite not meeting their primary endpoints. Um, personally, how do you think those disease communities play a role in those opportunities? And what can we as a community take from their examples? Great question. <laughs> I, I think it goes back to there's no effective treatment in, in the HD space as of, as of today. Uh, we've known about the gene for 30 years. Research is very difficult. I get it. I get it takes time. But I think if an investigational drug shows clinical benefit for a subgroup of the HD community and is well tolerated, then wouldn't you think it's kind of worth fighting for? And that goes into your question of these other communities that have been able to receive FDA, FDA approval. Uh, we've seen it in ALS uh, more recently with getting an approved drug um, called Tofersen. We've seen it in the Duchenne space, both in, in the U.S. as well as in Europe. And what I saw from those communities is that they acted with urgency. They said, I don't want to wait. I'm willing to take a risk. I understand you know, it may have a small, even a small benefit, but that's better than the current 
situation, which is I'm slowly getting worse and worse or I'm slowly dying or, you know, I had friends or family who, who passed away from this disease. You saw it during the HIV uh, epidemic where, you know, these activists were saying, well, give us the opportunity to make that decision. And I think that's the, the thing that personally is missing from the HD community is acting with urgency. HD, of course, is slowly progressing. So people may say, well, we have time, but we really don't have that much time. You lose a family member, you lose a friend, you, you, you lose people in general twice, once to the, to the disease and once when they pass away. And I think that's what's very challenging that people may not understand is how difficult that is. And then knowing it's a genetic disease, knowing that if you are at risk, that could be you one day. That's not an easy thing to grasp and understand. And so to me, it's seeing these other communities advocating on the Hill, uh, sharing their story with uh, policymakers, sharing their story with uh, different companies and with the FDA. It's, it's crucial to have their voice be heard saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to help make a difference. And the last thing I would say, and I know it's maybe far, far fetched. But a very broad example is everyone knows about antidepressant, anti-anxiety, anti-anxiety medications. There's over 25 to 30 different medications on the market, and there's no one size fits all, right? And we know that one may not work for uh, the same person. So although HD is a lot smaller of a community, I, I, I would argue that, you know, if any type of investigational drug is well tolerated uh, and and may be safe in studies and has a clinical benefit even for a subgroup, then, and that's helping with quality of life, then isn't that the best option until the next treatment option becomes available, which we don't have a time frame for? Again, it depends on what a study's data looks like, the whole picture of it, that whole puzzle. But I think it, it it's it's seeing it from that perspective of if it's helping a subgroup, if there's a clinical benefit, it's well tolerated all in, in, in the study and the data looks promising, then I think that's it, it's making sure that the community is aware of that and saying, hey, are we willing to fight for this if, like say big keyword, if, you know, the, the larger puzzle looks promising. And that takes time and takes patience. But I think that's the way I see it is, is how do we get people to to act with that urgency that you and I've been talking about for the last few years of saying, Hey, we don't want to wait. Uh, you know, we were involved in that FDA patient listening session for that, for pre-symptomatic HD community members, those who are also at risk and majority of, of us, not just speaking to the FDA, but also in our uh, survey stated that they wanted to participate in studies stating that they would take a risk. And I think that's, that's an important aspect to look at and to to realize is you know we we want to help we want to help bring change and we don't want to continue to to wait um but again it's it's somewhat too early to to know of whether or not uh you know this data will will be enough if if that makes sense yeah and and I want to point out you know just where you're talking about you know, acting with urgency. It's so true that we, we as a community really need to be willing to speak up. If, as you said, this is showing clinical benefit, there's 
it's well tolerated, you know, so the, the, the risk is small compared to the benefit. Um, if that is what the data shows and, and this is why HD awareness is so important in regard to research, right? Because in order for us to get the FDA to realize, like, we're willing to take on that risk, we're willing to fight for this subgroup, um, you know, that's where HD awareness comes in. Like, we have to be willing to share, to come together as a community and, and share our our stories and um our opinions and um so you're right we we have to be willing to do that now because there is this sense of urgency um yeah and and i I would just say like it, it it's all about like listening to the community right if if the community is sharing their perspectives of this again i i just think that it's so important for um, the, I'll say the decision makers, whoever those are, right, to to listen to the community and understand, you know, that it's supporting, if it supports a subgroup, it's better than nothing, right? It's better than where we're currently at. And that's, I think, something that we need to understand. I mean, I'll, t- I'll take my personal example of, of uh, seeing my mom try to take different anti-Korean medicine, right? And you know, it worked for some people, but it didn't work for her, uh, which is fine. But, you know, it didn't work for her because it increased her anxiety and depression. And, you know, there's other potential side effects of it that may impact people. But at the end of the day, right, it's it's about thinking about it. Well, is it working for a subgroup? And if so, is it improving their quality of life? And if that if the answer is yes, then, of course, it's it's beneficial. Um, if the answer is no, of course, that's a whole different discussion. But we know that you know, there's anti-Korean medicine on the market. Uh, and so I, I think overall it's, you know, continuing to see, okay, if it trends in the right direction with the data and, it, you know, you see a clinical benefit, then you kind of have to ask yourself, like, what what can we do as, as an HD community um, to, to make sure that this is helping with quality of life for uh, the, you know, patients impacted by HD? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just to summarize, as you said, like it's a puzzle. We have we have pieces of a puzzle. We're waiting for the rest of the pieces to come out. So we just need to wait for the full picture of of that puzzle. But once we get that, um, then we really need to come together as a community and decide based off of that information. You know, do we fight for this subgroup or not? And um, and I think that's really important um, to note that um, we're not giving up, right? Like as advocates, we're not giving up um, on this yet. Um, yeah, also, other, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say the other points, right? Is And uh, you and I have discussed this in the past is research is is tough. It's long. It doesn't happen overnight. We have to be patient as much as we want to say we want answers now. It's well, we also want the right answers. And, you know, if you rush something, we know that, right? If you rush something and you're not taking your time, you may not get the right answer. And so it's it's being patient. But at the end of the day, research 
always helps advance what we're doing in the community. And I think that's something to remind people of is, is that no matter what, you know, this will hopefully advance further research for HD, help us better understand, uh, you know, how HD impacts uh, people, their brains, right, their bodies, how they act, and, you know, get us to where we need to go. But it also comes with advocating and making sure that the patient and caregiver perspective is being heard early and throughout drug development. It's so crucial because it can really help, I think, make or break a study, uh, especially when you think about a study design and who it's for and the commitment level and, and making sure that the community feels comfortable participating, understands it, is educated of understanding what a phase one, phase two, phase three study is, what it means to not just potentially get a drug approved, but even getting a drug approved, then there's the whole question of access, right? Access to a drug, will my health insurance co cover it? And if not, what are the out-of-pocket costs? And are there, you know, patient assistance programs and, and all that? So there's a lot that goes into it, but I think it's not being afraid to ask those questions, ask the tough questions. Um, and if you don't like the answers, I think it's it's okay, right? Not The answer may be, we gotta be patient, right? But it's it doesn't hurt to ask questions, to learn more and to just kind of continue to advocate for ways to accelerate research. Yeah. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your perspective. Um, as always, I love it. I love when you come on and and we get to talk about this stuff. We could probably talk for hours about it. Um, but um, thank you for all that you do in the community. There's just so much um, that you have done, you are doing, and I truly appreciate all that you do. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, I really enjoy these conversations as well. I think it's also just, it, it, it it's important to just continue to share, you know, our, our perspectives on research, on understanding the ins and outs of it, but understanding just like not being afraid. I, I know I, I sound like a broken record, but not being afraid to ask questions and making sure you have the right information in front of you because, you know, with social media and everything now, it, it can get scary to, to go on there and get information from one source and then see something different. And the next, next thing you know, you're seeing five, six different things you're like, well, what's what's the correct information? What is out there that's going to help me with my current situation? And so I think community webinars or podcasts like this are always helpful because it provides a little bit more clarity uh, to that that puzzle that we we keep bringing up. And hopefully once we get more pieces to the puzzle, we can continue to learn more about just uh, data when it comes to, uh, you know, the Proof HD study, as well as just um, ways to continue to learn about the ins and outs of, of HD when it comes to research. Yeah, 100%. Um, for those who are listening, please make sure you tune in next Thursday. Uh, we are going to have Dr. Benjamin Gilmer on um, to share Dr. Vince Gilmer's story um, and the book that was recently published about it. Uh, so please make sure that you tune in for that. And until next time, guys, take care and love you. Thank you for listening. 
Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.